Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Sally Jenkins is uh, our guest in this next seg- segment. The month of June, I, I, I always tell people, I, I like to do book recommendations. I like to bring authors on in early June because everybody's looking for what? A Father's Day book, right? Well, I've got a good one for you. It's called The Right Call. Sally Jenkins has written it. She is a fantastic sports writer. I think she's the best sports columnist in America. She's at the Washington Post. I think you should read every word that she writes, especially if she's writing a book. Now, The Right Call is about what sports teaches us about work and life. We talk about this stuff all the time on the show. What do I do? I start today's show by talking about how our sports teams are like our children. They should be looking forward. It's okay for us to get nostalgic and look backwards. We can get wispy and glassy-eyed. You can think about the 77 Blazers or the the Ducks in 2015 you want or Oregon State winning back-to-back championships at the College World Series. That's okay, but the teams can't afford to do that. They need to look forward. Sally Jenkins is joining us. I'll get off my soapbox. Sally, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. You love I, having you I, on. I like that. I like that. Children and teams. Yes. That's your next book. There, there yeah. it is. <laughs> the the right <laughs> call. Tell us what you know. What what prompted you to to write this book? The right call. You know what did it was just the the realization after so many years of covering you know athletes in big events, the realization that like even a Steph Curry. Uh, you know, as intuitive and inspired seeming as he may may appear in the moment, he's making micro decisions, right? Uh, when to take the shot, what shot to take, you know, to go to my left, go to my right. You know, all of those things are micro decisions. And I just have been uh, increasingly fascinated over the years with how athletes, great athletes, manage to make more right decisions than than wrong decisions under pressure, Right. So pressure is the most common experience in the world. We spend a lot of time wondering how what athletes do could possibly apply to us. You know, are they just there to awe us and entertain us? Um, or can we learn something from them? I mean, that's the $64,000 question. And in watching, you know, these people, it just occurred to me, like, the one thing we can really take from them is what are their methods for dealing with pressure and making good decisions under pressure? I love that you have like Steve Kerr, Pat Summit, Peyton Manning, Michael Phelps, Agassi, Bill Belichick. You know, blend that all into it. But you're, you've been in those locker rooms, you've been in those news conferences, you've been in those high pressure situations, watching them all. Does it jump out at you? Like, when, are you having this conversation like over dinner, and then you go, "Hey, this should be a book." Yeah, I mean, you know, there's just such a broad cross section there, right? I mean, it occurred to me. You know, the, the Washington Post has sent me to 10 Olympic Games and a bunch of Super Bowls and, you know, British Opens. And I, I wanted to see what roads intersect between these athletes and these coaches. I mean, I've interviewed them all, right? Uh, that's, that's, that's a fact. Like, I've talked to Bill Belichick. I've talked to Steve Kerr. You know, I've had dinner with Andre Agassi and Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. So I wanted to see, okay, well, where are the intersections in how they go about their business. You know, does Laird Hamilton do some of the same things that Steph Curry does or Michael Phelps or uh, Patrick Mahomes? And the answer is yes. You know, so I started making a list of those things and those things turned into chapters. 
you, you, know, you write. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, so one of the things that uh, that also occurred to me was that we use a lot of buzzwords in sports, you know, conditioning, practice, discipline. You know, we talk in those terms all the time uh, and, you know, bringing my A game, but we don't really unpack them in a specific way. You know, what is the winning culture really? I mean, what is culture, period, you know, with a capital C? So I try to really explain these principles in a very granular way using examples direct from athletes and coaches. In the prologue to the book, you have this great exchange with Michael Phelps, which I never thought about. You know, I, I'm in the water swimming. It feels like an eternity, Sally. Like, you know, I'll be in there swimming. I think I've been there for 20 minutes. It's like four minutes. And I'm going, what are the swimmers doing when they're swimming? But you you talk to Phelps during a race. Is he counting strokes? Is he counting laps? Is and what did you learn from him in that in that exchange? Yeah, he's not counting. I mean, he was like, count what? And I'm like, well, you know, strokes to the wall. He was so well conditioned. And conditioning is, again, one of those vague terms we don't really define. Conditioning is actually a deep neurological uh, process. When you condition, you're basically improving the efficiency and the basic operating uh, system uh, in your body. And Phelps was so grooved on such a deep neurological level that he was like a great pianist who doesn't, you know, who memorized the piece so well, he doesn't have to read the music, right? Um, Phelps could just feel in the water where he was, and it accounts for the single greatest uh, decision he ever makes. And again, even a Michael Phelps in a 100-meter butterfly makes decisions. The best decision Phelps ever made in his career was the decision against Michael Kavich in the 100-meter butterfly at the Beijing Olympics when the gold medal rec all-time record is on the line, Phelps decides to what they call chop the wall, which was to take a very one last half stroke rather than just glide to the wall, and he beats Cavett by one one-hundredth of a second. Uh, it's, it, it seemed like an infinitesimal you know, split-second reaction. It was, in fact, a decision, and a decision he was able to make because he was so well-conditioned. Sally Jenkins with us. The book's called The Right Call, Washington Post sports columnist, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, all right, let's uh, apply this to your life, Sally. Uh, you're on deadline. You're in the press box. You're at a big event. You know, can you draw upon what you learn from athletes and coaches to, to perform your job? Yeah, so this is, this is really the point of the book. You know, what, what can those of us who work at desks, you know, sitting there from the neck up, you know, what can we pull from? What's exportable? from the experience of a Michael Phelps or, you know, uh, somebody, you know, a Steph Curry. And, and the answer is that just by borrowing from a few of their methods, you, you, can, you can learn to deal with pressure better in your own life. And if you doubt um, that pressure has actual physical properties, uh, take a look at chess grandmasters and what happens to their bodies in a tournament. A chess grandmaster can burn like thousands of calories in a tournament. Like they all lose weight. Um, because your body is working quite strenuously even when you're just sitting, um, you know, thinking and trying to solve hard problems. And so one of the things you can do to deal with that kind of pressure better uh, is basically, you know, prepare uh, better and have some things at your disposal. So, for instance, like it, it's a deadline, uh, Super Bowl, you've got 90 minutes to write a 1,000 words. I'm a much better writer if I've already got 500 words pre-written that I can pull from, from, you know. If I've gone through all the interviews with Patrick Mahomes during the week 
and found comments from him that I that I am pretty sure are going to hold up when the game is over. Some observations, you know, like I'm just a better writer under deadline, and the pressure of the moment is not affecting me so badly, you know. I mean, one of the things to understand about pressure, uh, no matter what you do um, for a living, is that, you know, when you're feeling pressure, your body is sending blood from your uh, small, fine muscle groups to the large ones in the fight or flight response. And so you lose fine motor control. So something like typing actually gets physically harder because you have less blood in your fingers. Once you're sort of aware of those physiological reactions uh, from pressure, as athletes are, it just makes you better at dealing with it. You understand what's happening in your body and your mind a little bit better, and so you can mitigate. Book is going to be officially released on June 6th, so coming up in five days, uh, just in time for Father's Day for people who are looking for a gift. On that note, Sally, like, you know, I, I think I've read all your books. My favorite the Real All-Americans, Carlisle Indian School. I think if, if you're looking for a Father's Day book, that's a good one as well. Do you have a favorite, like, because the Pat Summit books, the Dean Smith book, you know, you go back to even Lance Armstrong. Do you have a favorite? Yeah, you know, The Real All-Americans is my favorite just because it was such a labor of love. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a true story about uh, the Carlisle Indian School and how they really pioneered the forward pass and what what really we all love about the the modern NFL the, the the great offensive strategies of today were born at the Carlisle Indian School so that was sort of like uncovering this beautiful mosaic that had been kind of buried it was like archaeology so I really love that book I love doing it it was like time travel you know um, uh, but I love this book too uh, partly because I do love uh, so many of the people in it. I mean, Pat Summit is in it. She was a, a great, great friend as well as a collaborator on three books. Uh, Dean Smith was a collaborator. I worked on his book. Uh, you know, I really um, admire and was deeply influenced by people like Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova as a young sports writer. Um, so, uh, you know, this kind of – the right call is is kind of the a, a summary, you know, almost of all the stuff I've learned from these people over the years. Yeah, and I can feel you, you know, drawing on Tony Dungy, Tom Brady, you know, Peyton Manning. Uh, for people who love sports, this is going to be a great book. Uh, I'm mentioning athletes and coaches. You know, we're watching college sports change dramatically. The money and television driving so much of it. Um, are the athletes in your mind changing or? Is good athletic competition, the things that made athletes great once upon a time, is that a universal theme that, you know, continues to, to uh, permeate in sports? I don't think athletes are changing. I just think they're getting more ownership. You know, self-ownership is a really big deal. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're entering, I think, finally at long last, and it's highly welcome to me. We're, we're about to enter an era where athletes, uh, become owners of entire teams, you know. I mean, here we have Tom Brady buying into the Raiders, you know. We've got, I mean, LeBron, LeBron James, I mean, Magic Johnson is buying into the Commanders, right, the Washington Commanders. He's going to be part of the the, uh, the NFL ownership group um, for the Washington Commanders. I, I really, it was, it was a very, very rare thing that a former athlete become an owner, uh, it, 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 it's it's been a long time coming, and it's high time. Uh, the owner, the billionaire owner clique in the NFL and the NBA, 
that, need, that that's a dinosaur generation thing that needs to pass, you know, and we need to enter this new era where you can, as a child, take up a sport, devote your entire life to it, and then uh, when it's over, you know, not fall into unemployment, not fall into, um, you know, needing Medicaid to pay for your joint replacement, but rather fall into a lifelong career like the rest of us, you know. If you have a craft and a devotion, if you're an artist or uh, a musician, you, you know, you, you hopefully can find some way of lifelong employment in in your chosen art. You know, athletes haven't had that, and they deserve it because it's a form of genius, you know. Uh, it, 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 they should be able to have lifelong livelihoods at their at their genius. The Right Call, What Sports Teach Us About Work and Life. Sally Jenkins, the author, on sale June 6th. Sally, um, you know, as I'm going through and reading an excerpt of the book and looking at sort of the uh, the bullet points on the book, I'm curious, you know, how do you know what to leave out of the book? Because your career, <laughs> the length of it, you know, the cutting room has to look amazing. Yeah, you know, my dad, who was a great sports writer, Dan Jenkins, always he worked at Sports Illustrated for over 20 years, and he used to tell me, you can tell the strength of a piece by what lands on the cutting room floor. You know, if it's just painful to cut, you know your material is pretty strong. Um, and it, it felt that way. I mean, there's some stuff that, that I ended up cutting from the for space or uh, because it just didn't quite, you know, work um, that uh, that I regretted. And so, um, but nothing goes to waste. It'll wind up in a column for the Washington Post, you know. Uh, but um, but yeah, it's 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 hard to cut. It's like it's 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 difficult, you know. Um, there's a lot of thoughts and people um, crowding through, all trying to crowd through the same door. You've got Marvis Frazier. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go was, ahead. Yeah. Like you, I mean, you're the same, John. We've you know we've we've crossed paths at events all over the world. You know, who are some of your like you you. You, you surely have people that have just made an impression on you, right? No matter how cynical we want to be about these folks, um, in, in, in some way they end up writing us a little bit, right? They make yeah. an impression on us. Yeah, 100%. Like, who, and I, like, so I had this, yours? I had this conversation with Bill Plaschke one year because he, looked, he grabbed me at the end of the year and he said, you know, you and I were at the Olympics, we were at the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Final Four, the Kentucky Derby, the Belmont, and he said, he said what did you learn? And I said – there are no accidents. Winning is not accidental. Like, it, and the winners often had trials and tribulations, and but they just handled it differently from the franchises that that said, "Oh no, they threw their arms up. This we we can't go on. We've had a major injury." Uh, the winners just reacted differently. And I, at the end of the even you know even the horses that you see at the end of the year that get to the Derby, you go, "There's a great story in every stall, and there's a winning yeah. story in every stall, and how they arrived there." And I think that same stuff i think can apply to us in real life i've said that on this show a number of times that like bad things happen how do you deal with it how do you pivot you know the patriots you know antonio brown's a problem what do they do what do they do that the raiders don't do you know how do they you know how does that situation end up you know not derailing one team but derailing another and i'm always i'm i'm fascinated by the kind of the sociology of it that's so well said. You know, I mean, I, I, I there, there's an entire chapter uh, in the right called "Devoted to Failure" because, like, so here's like you've seen this as well as I have. At the Super Bowl, when you go down the roster of the Super Bowl teams, you can't help noticing that, like, literally half of a 53-man roster, half of those guys weren't even drafted. 
right? There's always like 20 to 25 undrafted free agents on a Super Bowl roster. So the field is literally littered with failures uh, at the Super Bowl. The rest of us aren't that cognizant of that. The fact, the degree to which uh, really good athletes and really good teams have a tolerance for setback, right? Uh, they're just they're more resilient. Uh, the, the the really good ones. Uh, and they don't they, they, they don't just, dwell on it either. No. They don't dwell on the mistake or the and, or the and injury. It, yeah, and you'll you'll know this too, right? Like, you, I, I bet you agree. If you hear a team or a coach after a tough loss bitching about the officials, you mm. can be sure they're going to lose again the next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're looking for they're looking for they're looking outward instead of inward. Uh, Sally, let me ask you this, uh, and I think we've talked about this before, but your dad's a legend in the industry. And I, and I before the last segment, I said, you know, modern sports writers, you know, he's he's on, you know, he's on the wall of fame. You know, he is. He is one of the pillars. Uh, you know, you grow up listening to your dad on a typewriter in the other room typing. You know, and we've seen people like you know Marvis Frazier tried to box. Frank Sinatra Jr. tried to sing. Sally Jenkins, you are like the number one sports columnist in America. You have achieved <laughs> to the level of what your father achieved. That you know, I know you're not going to take a victory lap, but I'm going to give you one here. That is a remarkable thing for you to grow up watching dad and then rise to his level i don't well first i i, I don't know that i agree with the premise number one but thank you <laughs> uh but second, but secondly it's kind of like a race car family right i mean uh you know i just i grew up in the trade right i grew up at the racetrack i didn't know how to do anything else uh you know it's kind of like austrians grow up skiing you know i just was i mean i went to my my dad took my brothers and I in the summers uh, on the road with him. So my my first golf tournaments were God. I mean, I was literally, you know, I was I was seven and eight years old at golf courses. And, and um, my first British Open, I was 11. Uh, Trevino beat Jack Nicklaus to prevent a grand slam. I mean, uh, that's just, I grew up steeped in it is the only thing I can say. Uh, so it was a tremendous advantage. And I grew up, like you say, watching a master at work. I mean, Pat Mahomes has talked about the advantage he had growing up watching, you know, his father was a, you know, a ball player, a major leaguer, and he, he watched the habits. Uh, Mahomes watched the habits that made uh, success. And they're not, it's carpentry. It's not, you're not, it's not being kissed by God with some fortunate talent. I mean, it is pounding nails into a board. Um, I think any athlete would tell you that. I mean, you know, Mahomes, Mahomes signs one of the greatest, the richest contracts in history, and part of what he does with the money is uh, install a 50-yard uh, uh, playing field in his backyard so he can practice more. I mean, <laughs> yeah. anyway, uh, it, the point being, point being, uh, you know, my career, I wasn't born a sports writer. I, it's, a, it's a product of work and agency, you know, just like any of the athletes we cover. The Right Call, What Sports Teach Us About Work and Life. It's out on the 6th of June. Think about it for a Father's Day gift. Sally Jenkins, uh, thank you for joining us. I will see you this summer. Uh, we're all looking yes, forward to will. seeing you guys. Sounds uh, great. All right. Can't wait, Take John. care. Okay. All right. Take there you. she goes. Thanks. Sally Jenkins, there she goes. Uh, Stephen, we got to talk about this interview just for a second. Um, and, uh, you know, it's – I talk about this stuff all the time. I'm glad she wrote the book, but I'm excited to read it. I'm going to buy you a copy, you know, for Father's Day. I'll get you a copy. Oh, thank you.
But uh, I, I'm just interested to see, like, Bill Belichick, you know, Pat Summit, the late Pat Summit. What are the things that she drew from that? Uh, I don't know. Did you geek out on that interview like I did? Yeah, like the fact that, you know, when she goes into the, the science of it, right, and how every single decision that is made on the field, on the court, like it's a calculated one. And I think, like, because for me, you know, a lot of people will argue just like, well, if these guys just work harder. Every person that is a professional athlete, they they have the God-given talent. Now, yeah. to be the next level, they have to do the next stuff. Like she said, Patrick Mahomes, practicing more. Just doing more research, doing more science, doing the science of it. That's that's what sports is about, to become one of the best ever. And I think she touched on that. Like, we really underestimate how special these people are that are the best in their sport, but how much work they actually put in and the little stuff they do just to make themselves get better. It, it is amazing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she touched on that, and she, she hit it out of the ballpark on that, on that stuff, and I love that kind of thing. All right. Coming back, I want to ask you, because you were with the Blazers, Damian Lillard, all the Blazers you saw come through in your time. What made Lillard different? I'm going to ask Stephen that next. I'm efforting a whole bunch of uh, athletes and coaches in the coming weeks. Stanford football coach Troy Taylor on uh, on my to-do list as far as getting interviews, as is Shadur Sanders, the Colorado quarterback. Um, I want to talk about Colorado in the 4 o'clock and or 5 o'clock hour. Did anybody else think that the rest of the coaches in the Pac-12 have heard about enough about Colorado. Uh, cute story, but I'm kind of wondering if Oregon, USC, some of the teams that play Colorado this season, particularly in the early part of the conference schedule, I'm wondering if they are especially eager to play Colorado. I'll tell you what I mean by that in the 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock hour. I, just, I think it's chapping some coaches and some people who recruit in the Pac-12 conference. Stephen, I asked you before the break. You, you saw Blazer players come and go, and your time working for the Blazers. Um, tell the listeners what you were doing, what capacity you were working in. Uh, yeah, so when I was with the Blazers, I was in the scouting department, uh, technically a video analyst, uh, but I did a couple other things with them as well. But uh, So what I would do is I would basically do the like initial scouting for upcoming opponents. So you know, say they played the Denver Nuggets, uh, within the next week, I would watch, uh, you know, the past five to seven games by myself of the Nuggets and track kind of what plays they were running, um, how they were playing yeah. their defense, which direction is going, all that kind of stuff. Um, kind of doing like the initial breakdown of it all. And so we just do that throughout the season um, for basically every single regular season game and then playoff game uh, in the season. Then also I would do some live stuff as well, you know, checking on just how they were playing defense, if they're contesting right, um, those type of things. Give me an idea. When you get this job, do you immediately, are you like, oh, yeah, of course they do all this stuff? Or were you surprised by the depth and the level of uh, sort of uh, attention to detail that was going on? I was surprised. You know, I, it's one of those things where, yeah, in hindsight, it's like, yeah, of course they're doing all this stuff. But at the time, it's like, wow, like they really go in depth and they have a lot of people doing this and they have a lot of thing like specific things that they are looking for and that's the thing i mean if you're off by a, an inch of where the player is like they will correct you and they say no you have to you have to judge it this way and so it takes it's very meticulous um it's very repetitive but at the same time like it is a science and it is a system that they had of how they wanted their plays tracked and how they felt like their theories on basketball was so it was very 
very interesting to me in that way that it is so particular of what they want and they will let you know if it's wrong and then you got to fix yourself that way. So it's it's one of those things like I go back to it's a science and it's a, you know, a sports science right there that it, to be great. And I think Dame, you talked about Dame being it like he's the one of those guys that is always watching film. And he said this before. He's like, I love basketball. Like, this is what I do. I watch basketball all the time. And I think that's the type of thing is all this information is out there and the team provides it. Do you look at it? Do you study it? Do you want to get better? And I think Dame is a great example of that because he's not the biggest guy. You know, he's lost a step athletically, but he's still explosive. He's figured out ways to do it. And a lot of it is by scouting, just by doing the easy stuff that seems so easy that you would say, oh, if I was a professional athlete, I'd be studying all the time. Dame does it. And that's why he's been so good in his career. Give me an idea, though. Did you ever have athletes who came in that, you know, didn't put in that work or didn't understand the value of that work? Or do they all get it? No, they definitely don't all get it. And I think especially for basketball, you see this a lot. And, you know, with the AAU system, the way it is, you're, how good, you're told how good you are all the time. You see these really good athletes. They have explosiveness in their game. They have great games. And then it goes away. And then they get a big contract, and then they don't work hard. And it's it's one of those things that it's disappointing because you just know, man, if you if you if you loved it, if you loved what you were doing, you could be one of the best and you're just not gonna do it. And that's okay because they've gotten by their entire life and their entire career playing basketball doing it the way they've done it. And they don't have to work hard. It, a lot of the athletes, especially in basketball, you have to be God given to be that. Like I could I could have worked as hard as anybody in the world, John. I was never gonna be a professional basketball player because I was not born to be one. These people that are in the league are born to be basketball players. And so I think to get to that next step, man, they just have to, you know, they have to love it. And there's some guys that just don't, but they're, you know, they're six foot eight and they can run and they can jump and they can shoot. So they made it all the way to the NBA. It's really interesting for me to hear that. And I think if fans saw what you saw behind the scenes, you know, it would make it um, easier to root. Give us an idea, because I always used to go through this with my own kids. Like they go and they want to buy a Blazer jersey or an NBA player's jersey. I'm often left going, buy this guy's jersey, not that guy's jersey. So, the you know, of the guys you saw, if there were two or three jerseys you were going to say, hey, these are guys who put in the time, who do the work. You include Lillard. Who else yeah. is in that short list? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think LaMarcus was one of those guys when he was in Portland. He was a guy that mm -hmm. worked really hard to improve his game, improve his body. You saw that when he came into the league. He was a skinny guy. When he left Portland, he was big and he was buff. I think he's he's a guy like that. Um, I think uh, it's tough right now for the Blazers team right now. I think Dame's really the only guy on the roster that I could really vouch to say this is the guy that's putting in the work every single day. Stephen, I, I love that. I love that perspective. Uh, coming up, top of the hour, we will uh, talk about uh, the 30 for 30 series being done on Bill Walton. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.